Summer of Psalms, about 12 of them. If you guys are familiar with Psalms, uh, you know that they are a great repository of, of excellent information, not just information, but really uh, a personal look at uh, people's personal spiritual lives from the Old Testament. A lot of times we read big laws and things about the nation shall do this and the people shall do that and all this kind of big, grand kind of stuff, right? Well, what about me? What, what about when I'm uh, angry? What do I do with that? What, what about when I see people around me who are sinners and they're thriving in life and I'm just trying to obey God and my life's pretty rough? What do I do with that? And so a psal- the Psalms are a great place to go for stuff like that. There are... Uh, 150 psalms. It's the the longest book in the Bible. It's also the book that has the uh, longest chapter in it in the Bible. Psalm 119 is very long. Enjoy reading that one in one in one sitting. You can do it, but it takes some concentration. 169 verses, and then it also has the shortest chapter in the Bible. So if you're looking to memorize a whole chapter of Scripture. Psalm 117 is your, is your key. It's like three verses, okay? You could memorize it before I'm done the intro, okay? So Psalm 117. So it's, uh, it's a very interesting book, and it's a very personal look at the uh, spiritual lives of saints in the Old Testament. Uh, interestingly, it's the most quoted Old Testament book by New Testament writers. I guess that kind of makes sense since it's the longest book. But that is pretty interesting. They, when they wanted to support what they were writing in the New Testament, they went to the Psalms. And that's where they found support. There are all different kinds of Psalms. There are those that talk about the coming Messiah. There are those that talk about the value of the Word of God. There are Psalms that talk about what I do in time of distress and trouble. What I do in times of temptation. What I do when I'm guilty. Right? There are many, many Psalms. It's very helpful. It's a very personal guide to the spiritual life, maybe even more personal of a guide to spiritual life for, a, for an individual than you find it really anywhere else in Scripture. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive what, what you can find in the Psalms. And since there are 150 of them, you can do math very easily and read like five a day. And then every month, you will have gotten through all of the Psalms, right? And so the math works. The Lord did that for us so we can break it up easily like that, I guess. And, um, but it's... Uh, uh, I think what impresses me the most about the Psalms is the fact that, and I'm not the most emotional guy in the world, but the fact that I can go to the Psalms and I can read very honest descriptions of what the psalmist does with emotion. Sometimes it's outpouring of love and affection for God. And it's just, it's just overflowing and you just read it and it just makes you want to cheer for God, right? There are other times when he starts off and he's, he's very angry about this bad guy who's chasing him down and why does everything go well for the bad guy and things are going so bad for me? Where's God and all of this? That's a legitimate emotion and that's a legitimate question. And we read through the Psalms and we find an answer to that kind of stuff. That's what I love about the Psalms. Not just that it identifies those emotions or it validates those emotions, but it tells you what to do with them. And it walks through with you how to deal with those sorts of things. I'll give you an example. Psalm 3. This is one of my favorites, okay? Now, you will probably never hear this prayed at Parkside. Psalm 3 and verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Right? I like that one. There are times I really wanted to pray that prayer, right? And it's there in the Psalms, so it's biblical. (laughs) 
But it's interesting. It's God who's the one doing the breaking of the teeth and the striking on the jaw. It's not me. He didn't say, give me the strength to really knock this dude's teeth out. But Lord, get this guy, right? That's biblical. That's prayer. So you find that kind of stuff in the Psalms. Psalms are powerful. There are short ones and there are long ones. There are some of them that are uh, very advanced kind of Hebrew poetry that doesn't make a lot of sense in English, at least the poetry aspect of it. There's some that are just very simple outpouring. Some that are, that are called the songs of ascent. And it's like when we, uh, as if we were gathering outside and we were walking to the church and we're kind of walking along in groups and we're talking about what church is going to be like. Right. And so we start singing about what God has done and we start reminding each other as we're on our way to church about what God has done so that when we get there, we are in the mindset to worship songs of ascent. So, you know, when you're driving to church on Sunday mornings and, and you're, you know, reaching behind you, trying to, you know, get the kids to do what they need to do or whatever, you should be praying these songs, psalms of ascent or singing them to each other or saying them to each other. It helps us get geared up for church. Right. So the psalms are very versatile. And so Woody gave me uh, the choice of what psalms I would preach on this week and next week. And I really, really thought about Psalm 3, just about the busting the teeth out. That's kind of neat. But I decided not to do that and decided to go with a more spiritual route. So we're going to do Psalm 103, all right? Psalm 103. Let me read it for us. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your word. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us as we dig into what this psalm has to say to us and what we need to remember about all your benefits, as David says, that we would call them to mind, that we would remember who you are and how you have acted on behalf of your people and that we would bless your name. Lord, help us this morning to set aside those things that would keep us from doing that, those things that would, that would uh, crowd into our minds for attention, uh, that, would, that would divide our attention or keep us from focusing on you, on your word. Lord, I pray that we would be single-minded in seeking what you have for us in your word. I pray that you, by your spirit, would work in and on our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be submitted, be surrendered to you this morning. I pray that you would work in the hearts of your children. And for those here who don't know you, I pray, Lord, that you would be working on their hearts, that they would see and understand your goodness, your work on their behalf, and that you would draw them to yourself, that they would become your children. I pray that you would strike them with the fear of the Lord, as we will talk about. Lord, we trust you, and we look forward to what you have for us today from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103 starts off talking about personal benefits, personal benefits. And I love that he jumps right into salvation. He doesn't jump right into something else in life that's really great. My family or something else. He jumps right into salvation. That is the key for him. Look at that in verses 3 and 4. He says, he says, Well, let's start from the beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He jumps right into salvation when he wants to bless the Lord, when he wants to praise God for what he's done. The first thing that strikes him is the fact that we can have salvation in God. He starts talking right there about iniquity. Iniquity and the forgiveness of iniquity that we have, right? Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. And if you think about it, this is the deepest and most important of the benefits that we have. The fact that we who are sinners against God, guilty before him, rebels against him, can be forgiven. And he praises the Lord right off the bat for that. That his iniquity is forgiven. Listen to Psalm 130 and verse 3. It's on the same subject. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand Psalm 130 continues, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That equation is central and is crucial and we need to keep that in our minds. If the Lord were to mark iniquities, if he were to follow you around and all you did that, sorry, that's on the ledger forever, who could stand? No one could stand. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That you may be feared. He heals diseases. Second part of verse 3 there, who heals all your diseases. And you're thinking, wait a minute. I know of a couple that haven't been healed. I know of a couple that weren't healed. What do you do with that? Well, the Lord does provide healing sometimes. And he does it at his discretion. And I don't understand why he does here and not there. I don't understand that. 
I do not get that. But what I do know is this. The rest of the passage is talking, talking about our spiritual issues. And though we do not have a guarantee from God that in this life he will always heal our physical diseases, we do have guarantee that he offers healing of our spiritual diseases, the guilt we have before God because of our sin, because of our iniquity. The standing of being his enemy at enmity with God, he offers healing for that. He heals all such diseases when we come to him. And we'll talk about that. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I love that. He redeems your life from the pit. That gives a a good picture, a good description of where our life would be heading without God. Where my life was headed without Christ. The pit. Destruction in this life and certain destruction in the life to come. A pit is an excellent description for that. I think of something that's grimy. I think of something that's dirty and dark, and there's no way out. You're stuck in there. You're thrown in there like like, uh, Joseph was thrown in by his brothers. And that's the pit. That's the life that I was headed towards in this life and for certain in the life to come. And he redeems your life from the pit. So bless the Lord, O my soul. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He makes steadfast love and mercy the final words in your life. He makes those things the most important thing about you. His steadfast love and His mercy in your life. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He also talks in there about satisfaction. I have dwelt long and hard on this verse. The beginning of verse 5, look at this. Who satisfies you with good who satisfies you with good. It doesn't say that he gives you a bunch of good. That's true. And we've just listed the most important versions of that good that he gives you. But there's more than that, right? It's not just that he piles it on. He does pile it on. It's not just that there's a bunch of it. There is a bunch of it. But it's that he satisfies you with it. That's what God does. He satisfies us. He gives a satisfaction. When we think of all the blessings that we could hope to receive from God, the list in verse 3 and 4 are the most important. Those are the most important. I might want something else in life. I might desire something else in this world and think it would be a good thing to have. And it could be, and I might get that. But these things in verses 3 and 4 are all the good I will ever need. And so if I'm in a situation where I have those things, verse 3 and 4, I have those things, but I'm not satisfied... The issue is not that those things are inadequate to satisfy me. The inadequacy is with me, that I'm desiring something else. I'm looking for something beyond or other or different than the offer that God makes me. The dissatisfaction is within me. It's not within what God has given me. And so he satisfies us. He satisfies us with good. So let us focus on what he has blessed us with. I don't know what else you have on your list of other good things that are not in verses 3 and 4 that you would love to see in your life. Things that have not yet been accomplished, things you've not yet been given. I don't know what those things might be. And they might be important and they might be good. But our satisfaction is found in verses 3 and 4 because we don't know what will be added to our life. Jesus said stuff about persecution and tribulation. And so we don't know what's going to be added to our life. 
but we will be satisfied when we focus on these good things that he gives us. So the first personal benefit is salvation. The second personal benefit is satisfaction. And thirdly, strength. So I said I've been focusing on the first half of five and it's continued on in, in the second half of five there. He says, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Somehow, God's giving us these good things renews us and renews our youth. I take that to mean vigor, energy, strength, zest for life. I take, I take that to mean that God renews us and makes us new in those ways. And how does he do it? Look at the equation there. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. That so that tells you that there's sort of a cause and effect sort of relationship going on here. Cause and effect. The effect is that you will be renewed. Your youth will be renewed like the eagles. What's the cause? What's the cause there? He satisfies you with good. And so all week I've been thinking about this. And I've been trying to get in a place in my own mind where I'm thinking about dwelling upon blessing God for the goodness that he has satisfied me with and thinking about what it means that I have forgiveness, thinking about what it means that I have healing. My life has been redeemed from the pit and he crowns me with steadfast love and mercy. And as I dwell on those things, the exhaustion of life or the trials of life become secondary and I'm renewed in my strength like the eagles. I just love that equation so that... So that there's a result, there's a cause, and there's an effect. And I tell you what, I need that effect. And I'm probably not alone. I need to be renewed. I don't want to get tired. I don't want to get tired of serving God. I don't want to get tired of living through this life. I don't want to get tired of the things I have to do. I want to be renewed. I want to be excited about those things. And he satisfies us with good so that we will be renewed in that way. And so if you're in a position where you need to be satisfied where you need to be renewed, where you're tired, where you're exhausted, where you're weary. This is where the solution is. Focus your eyes on verses 3 and 4. Live your life thinking about and remembering what God has done, how He has blessed you and satisfied you with good. Those are the personal benefits. And we continue on, verses 6 through 14, to the corporate benefits. The corporate benefits. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So first of all, he's a champion for the oppressed. Verses 6 and 7, he's a champion for the oppressed. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And he made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. Now, right away, you're thinking, just turn on the news and look 
and see the oppressed who are awaiting deliverance. Look and see the oppressed who die while waiting for deliverance and don't receive it. You think about the state of our world. You think about sex trafficking. You think about slavery that exists in large, large corners of our world today. You wouldn't think that. You think about persecution of Christians. People who are being beheaded because they are Christians. There are oppressed people. There are oppressed people in our day and age. Our world is a dark place right now. There are dark, dark things going on in our world. And it says here, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And we're all realists enough to know that there will be some who will die in oppression. There will be many. And right now, day after day after day, there are many who die in oppression. So what does this mean? What's this verse talking about? Well, I think a key is there in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. You see, God loves to deliver the oppressed, but he tends to focus on a particular kind of oppression. And it's a, it's a, it's a deep-seated oppression that's the root of all of these other depressions. oppressions. If you think about the way we are born, the fact that we are born enemies of God, we are born in sin with this want to, this bent, this desire, this default setting of, I'm going to do it my own way. I don't care what God says. I'd really rather deny his existence. And that's what we're born with, right? And so it almost seems like we're victims. We're born into that spot, right? It's like, uh, you know, if, you, if your dream is to be an NBA star and you're, you know, four foot eight, probably not going to happen. You're kind of a victim of your height, you know, probably not going to happen. But here's the deal about this kind of oppression is that we gladly go along with it. Every person ever born gladly goes along with it. A couple of exceptions. They just do it. They're happy to. Jesus was the only one, of course, who did not do that. Adam and Eve didn't start that way. They weren't born that way. They moved that way pretty quickly. But think about this. We gladly contribute to our own oppression. There's irony in there, and it's sad, and it's dark. And this kind of oppression, this sin that we have, this bent that we have inside of us to want to do the wrong thing is the source, it's the root of all these other kinds of oppressions that go on in the world that end up with people being beheaded because they're Christians. And it's that oppression for whom, it's those people for whom God works justice and righteousness. That He offers a deliverance from that kind of oppression. He offers a way out that he would go to people who are actively oppressing themselves and others who are actively enemies of God and that he would make a, an offer, a gift offer to them of salvation is amazing. He is a champion and he is a champion for the oppressed. We're not done with that because though people are his enemies and though, uh, though we are sinful when we are born, Listen to verses 8 through 14. I, I know I just read them, uh, but listen to these verses. The Lord is merciful and gracious. So we're born in sin. We're born rebels against God. We're born in this condition where we stand against Him, at, enemy, at enmity with Him, running away from Him. I will be king in my own life. That's what we say to God. 
But the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If you want to memorize some Bible verses that will encourage you, 8 through 14 will do it. And it won't take you long to memorize them. So if you underline in your Bible or you're taking notes there and you want to start doing Bible memory, and you should, this is an excellent place to start. You want to be encouraged and you want to be instructed about who God is and what he's like, 8 through 14 will help you out. Memorize those. So the first of God's gifts or corporate benefits is that he's a champion, but it's also mercy, and it's mercy to those who fear him. Mercy to those who fear him. Did you see a couple of times when I read through that? It's these great and big and grand promises to those who fear him. To those who fear him. Look at verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. I was sharing the gospel with a guy one time and he told me, his impression of who God is, and that's always dangerous, by the way, when someone says, oh, well, to me, God is like such and such. That's always, you know, a, a red flag. You should be alert that they've created their own God. And he said, God, to me, is like a big grandfather in the sky. And he just loves to do nice things for his grandchildren. And there, there, have a lollipop. Right? And that's almost what verse 11 sounds like. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. But you've got to finish the verse. Toward those who fear him. Toward those who fear him. Same thing in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And this is where the rub happens. This is where the rub happens. That we need to remember, keep in mind, this situation that God who is high and lifted up, he is holy, he's eternal, he's all-powerful, has been offended by me. And that's not a good thing. And that puts me in a bad, a bad light. That puts me in a bad situation. And so what is fear of the Lord? Does that mean I should just be scared of God and then I'll be in? I'll be good to go? If I, if I run scared from God, if I'm afraid of Him in that sense? No, what, what fear of God means is that I have a right understanding, a right, a right reckoning in my mind of the fact that He is holy and He's huge. And I'm guilty and I'm tiny. But there's hope. And there's hope. And there's hope in Christ. Remember God who works righteousness for the oppressed? He sent his son Jesus to pay that penalty that you owe. Tiny little person in comparison to God who's a rebel against God. As if you could accomplish some sort of something with your rebellion along with me, and God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. And so I keep in my mind the fact that God is high and lifted up and holy and eternal and infinite, and I am tiny and fallen, but I'm redeemed. And that's fear of the Lord. 
That's what it means to fear God. The fact that I have been redeemed in Christ and God is scary if you're his enemy. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But I'm not going to fall into his hands because Jesus jumped into his hands. Jesus stepped in the way and bore the penalty for my sin that I could be redeemed, that I could be forgiven. And that's what it means to have fear of the Lord. And so when it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And so my prayer as I was preparing this and my prayer right now is that some of you will understand the enormity of the holy God and the futility of your rebellion against him and the reality of your rebellion against him and the fact that God offers you covering and protection in that situation in Christ, that you could be redeemed, that you could be forgiven. Remember verses three and four, that you could have that before God. And then fear of the Lord sets in. You understand who God is, but I'm safe in him. That's the fear of the Lord. And that that speaks of his gentleness. Point C there. That speaks of his gentleness. Verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. In comparison to the enormous God, we are dust. And God is aware of that. And so he doesn't just destroy us. He gives us hope in Christ. So we looked at personal benefits. We looked at corporate benefits. Now let's look at lasting benefits. Verses 15 through 19, lasting benefits. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Again, on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So first of all, the, the, the psalmist reminds us of our fleeting life that we're really like a, like a, like a wildflower, like a, like a dandelion in the front yard bloom and Hey, bright, bright. And then gone. And that's us. Our life is fleeting. And in contrast with that, verses 17 and 18, the everlasting love of God. Think about that. His love is from everlasting, so that's all the way back, to everlasting, all the way forward. It's always, compared to our little sprouting in the front yard, that is His everlasting, steadfast love. I love that word, steadfast. It's a great picture. It's not going anywhere. It will be there. It will endure. You can count on it. You can rely on it. It will always be there. And it has always been there. And if you think about the fact that we're sitting in church talking about what God has offered us in Christ, talking about the fact that we get to know him, this infinite God. And then you think about verse, verses, uh, verse 19 there. The Lord has established his throne, not just in the church, but in the heavens And his kingdom doesn't just rule over the church or over the hearts of men or over his kingdom rules over all. And so this is a massive, massive blessing that the entire universe, everything in existence has. The fact that God is sovereign and rules over all of this. And that helps me when I'm going through circumstances that are tough. When something comes up that I just can't handle. God is sovereign over that thing too. His throne is established and rules over all. And I can take great, great comfort. 
It benefits all of creation. So what does it mean to bless the Lord? You see how it began and how it ended. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then it ends, verses 20 through 22. Same thing. Bless the Lord, O you His angels. Those who are high and lifted up are, are in His, in his uh, kingdom, in the heavenly realm. You mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His armies, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Everywhere, all of creation. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So what does it mean to bless the Lord? That seems like an odd, like I can, I can say bless you. You sneeze, I say bless you. Or you're going on a trip and I say may God bless you, right? Or you're going through a difficult time, may God bless you and I can pray a blessing over you. How do we bless the Lord? Well, I've kind of hinted at it all the way through. To bless the Lord means essentially to praise Him and give Him glory and honor for the blessings that he has given us, for the blessedness that he must be, that he could pour out and spill out such abundant blessings on us and not run out. He spends on us and he spends on us and he spends on us and his purse is never empty. He must be blessed. He must be blessed. And so when we bless the Lord, we are acknowledging, Lord, you've given us many good things and you have infinite good things left to give. You are that blessed. You have that kind of a storehouse. And so we bless you. You must be the most blessed of all beings in the world. And so we bless you. And so we want to bless the Lord here. And so as the men are coming up for communion now, I want to uh, just focus on a couple of these ideas of how we can bless the Lord practically in our lives. How do we do that? Well, much like this psalm kind of seems like a prayer. If you will make blessing the Lord a regular part of your own prayer, even when you're praying over lunch, which I don't know, takes you nine seconds. I don't know. Add in blessing the Lord, remembering the richness of his storehouses, that he would give you food again and you don't deserve it. Bless the Lord. Add it into your regular prayer with your family when you're praying together. When you're praying with your buddies or at a Bible study or just on your own or in your own personal devotions when you get up in the morning or whatever, add in blessing the Lord, reminding yourself and praising him that he is magnificently wealthy in blessing. Keep in mind what his blessing is. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a more material or a, a life-oriented kind of thing, and sometimes it's verses 3 and 4. And bless the Lord. That's the first of all, in personal, private prayer. And second of all, in our conversation with one another. Let's remember to bless the Lord. Let's remember to lift him up for what he's done in our lives and to declare to each other, God is awesome and here is how I know it. Verses three and four, but there are other things in your life. I think of Devin with his head injury and the Lord blessed him. The Lord worked in his brain and now he could remember stuff. Bless the Lord, Devin. And there are other things very similar. Some great, great, awful in some small ways, the Lord gave rain again. Bless the Lord. And so let's bless the Lord in our conversation. And as we come to the Lord's table, we come to communion now. I can't think of a better way to bless the Lord 
than to point to the richness of his gift that he gave us in Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're looking at. When we, when we look at the Lord's table, we're really remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, that he would give up his body to be broken for us, that he would go through suffering, that he would go through literally torture for us to bless us with verses three and four. That's why we're here, that he would give up his own body, that he would offer it up so that we could have forgiveness. He gave up his own blood. He poured out his, his own blood, his own life's blood, spilled it so that we could be made new, that we could be washed clean. And he did this for us. And this is his way of blessing us in the biggest possible way. And so we come to the Lord's table today and uh, we're going to eat some bread and we're going to drink of the cup and we're going to do that together and we're going to remember and remind each other and remind ourselves of the blessings that God has given us. And we're going to we're going to pass out the bread in a moment and as it's going around what I'd like us to be doing is to be praying to God and asking him to search our hearts. Lord, what have I been holding on to that's sinful or that's against you? What's the what do I have in here? Is there is there anything in me, any uncleanness in me that I need to give up? that I need to confess before you and confess it to God and forsake it. And he will forgive you. That's, that's what he does. And so as, as we're passing the bread around, that's, that's what I want us to be contemplating is, is our own condition, uh, the condition of our own hearts. Now it's, it's probably, probably you can sense it, but this is, this is a thing for Christians to do. This is a thing for people who have put their faith in Christ. This is not really something for, for people who don't uh, know Christ or, um, or maybe they, they've never really heard this before. They don't get it. They don't understand why Jesus would have to die. This, this probably isn't for you. This is for believers who are celebrating and rejoicing in what God has done for them in verses 3 and verses 4. And so uh, we move now to the bread, and I want to I pray over it, and then, then we're going to pass it out. Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus, who gave himself, gave up his own body to be tortured, to be beaten, to be hung on a cross, to be killed, that I could have new life, that I could have forgiveness in Christ, that I could be restored, that I could have these blessings, that I could have my life redeemed from the pit. Lord, we give you honor and we rejoice and we bless you for this offering that Jesus made for us. In Jesus' name, amen.